You're listening to The Worship Review, a podcast which evaluates contemporary Christian music for the good of the church to the glory of God. This podcast is for the whole church to encourage thoughtful engagement with the words, emotions, and ideas in our music. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hello, welcome to another episode of The Worship Review, the podcast which normally critically but charitably examines the songs the text of songs that we sing in church, but we are going to continue a discussion today about what makes for good or great, ideally, worship music. I'm Colin, and I'm joined as ever by my co-host, Tyler. Hello, Tyler. And yeah, let's carry on. To return then to the talk of the music, I said something which I think might ruffle feathers, which was that it's a means to an end. Uh, and here's, here's, here's what I mean by that. Uh, it, the musical accompaniment including the vocal part, uh, does not become an end in itself. Uh, It does not let it become a performance. So worship is not primarily a performance. You may be performing your duties as musicians to provide accompaniment to the church. You're not on a stage before an audience the way you would be in in a concert or something. And so the accompaniment, I guess you could liken it to I don't know if you ever did this as a kid, Colin, but like when I was a kid, we would get these jars and we would put like dirt and little plants in them and you can seal them and then they become like a little micro ecosystem. Oh yeah. I love doing that. I think the music can do that. You can, the music can frame the ecosystem in which worship thrives and expands and grows and people can express worship to God, but the, the the music itself cannot be a substitute for that worship. The music itself cannot become the whole point. The whole point of the jar, put a jar together. It's what grows in the jar. So you, could, you could liken it to a garden or any other number of things, but the whole point of the thing is not all the work that you put into it initially. It's what grows organically out of all that work. And so I think if if the music gets to a point where you're so focused on the performance and not on the worship of the people, then the, the congregant becomes a spectator rather than a worshiper. And that, I think, is antithetical to Christian worship. I had just had like a revelatory moment a few years ago. I was at a different church than I am at now, and I was up. Uh, on the you know on the, I was in the worship band I was playing electric guitar at the time and I was playing a kind of lead part under some some singing I was just like was sitting there or I was standing there looking out of the congregation and you know some of them were singing some of them were looking at me you know and and I just I just had this thought like man I I, I I'm a distraction here like this was it wasn't a heretical song it was a great song we were perform we were performing there we go uh it was a great song that we were playing and you know people were worshiping but i was just i was just really aware that i was in that moment i realized i was performing and i just i wasn't like desiring praise per se or adulation but i was kind of feeling like i was taking away from god and from then on i was just like i got to get out of this I, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Like I can't, I can't do it. <laughs> and it was within a few months that, you know, not only did it lead to us, you know, me rethinking 
serving on the worship team in that way. But it led to me rethinking even kind of worshiping at a church, which which was um, worshipped in that way. And that's no criticism of this church. This was a great church. This was a very good church. I still recommend people go to that church um, and churches like it. There just was a—I I just realized it was—I couldn't do it. I was, I was performing. Whether I wanted to or not, I was performing. You know, I think it's great if musicians can really dig in and enjoy playing uh, for the end— as a means to the end of the worship of God and not the end being, oh, I really nailed that lick there. Um, I'm super awesome at the bass or whatever. But that these aren't new points. That's like classic worship leader guidance as well. But it still needs to be said. Yeah, and I wasn't having, like I wasn't like, you know, swinging my arm around like uh, Stuart or uh, Pete Townsend or I wasn't like, I wasn't even having a thought like, hey, look at me, I'm playing this awesome part. I just kind of, I felt like the part that I was playing was performative. Like it wasn't, it wasn't really serving a God glorifying purpose. I just kind of thought, you know, this is, it wasn't, and it wasn't like some awesome guitar solo. I just kind of, I don't know, it's just, and I wasn't thinking like an electric guitar can never be in worship. I just was realizing like, I just think this is, this song would be better without me playing at this moment. It would actually probably be better without really most of us playing at this moment. Like people are up, people are watching us. Like, and I, I just think, I just kind of felt like at that moment I was, and probably the whole band really was just kind of performing. We, nobody, nobody intended to do that. Nobody was intending to do that. But I, I just think that's what it was. I just sort of, I had this moment of kind of, objectivity like looking at you it's almost like seeing yourself outside you know just you know out of body experience you might say it was like what are we doing i don't know just it just changed i just couldn't go back after that i wonder if this uh, just touching on some things that we mentioned earlier this kind of schizophrenic attitude about worship that prevails in the church and i don't mean schizophrenic in the clinical sense but just in like split mind like skeet sane meaning split, and phrenia, meaning pertaining to the mind. Um, if this split mind toward worship is a consequence of importing a performative art style into a non-performative space and trying somehow to backfit yes. non-performance yes. onto a performance. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, I think you. I think you've really hit on something there. This would not be unique to the rock and roll style of music, right? This would just be inherent to any kind of music. No. It's square peg in a round hole. But somehow we got it halfway jammed in there, and now we have to deal with yeah. the consequences <laughs> <laughs> because this is the dominant. St- I would say this is now in the United States the dominant style of, of work. This is not like a fringe movement anymore. Uh, we're not the mega churches of the '80s anymore. Like this is. Most churches, I would say, have some kind of rock-ish music uh, and have done away with, with the older styles. Not that the older styles were necessarily better. Right? Well, like that's if your it. older style was an organist, it's like, well, what does that mean exactly? I mean, the organist is performing in a sense. Well, no, that's what I, I mean. So you go back to the history lesson. It's like there will be a time a hundred years from now when there will still be some churches 
where they play with a fog. There's a fog machine and a dude with a guitar up there and like a rock band. And the people a hundred years from now will think that that's like this old venerable style of worship, <laughs> right? Because it will be at that point, the culture will have totally moved on. And so it will no longer be, uh, it, 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 that style will not have all the baggage that it has now. And see, cause right now it, it's being imported into the church directly from the culture and, and because the culture finds it appealing, that style appealing or did found that style appealing for other reasons that have nothing to do with worship of God. And it's just been brought in for maybe for stylistic purposes or because the kids like it without realizing that it has all of these bits of baggage. So like, again, an example is the music that came out of the second great awakening. If someone, if someone walked into a church where they were singing a bunch of music or even just the tunes, you could go into churches right now that sing only Psalms. And if you look at the dates on the music of those Psalms, I guarantee you that a good chunk of them will be between 1800 and 1850. The, the tunes will come out of the second great awakening. And at the, at the, now those tunes all just sound like old venerable tunes. We don't associate anything with them other than just it, it was just a, a vague feeling of oldness. But if but the people when those when those tunes were being brought into the church, it was highly controversial, and many people might have associated those tunes with a variety of things. Again, um, moving across country, um, leaving your home, um, they might have associated it with. Uh, the the anxious bench, you know, in 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 you know, they might have associated with things that Charles Finney was doing. They might have associated it with uh, uh, you know f- sermons by uneducated ministers that were of questionable <laughs> theological accuracy. So so some people would have been like, no, we can't have any of this in our church. And then other people would have brought it in. And and again, that that whole debate has moved on. Nobody even knows about it anymore. So I guess all I'm saying is there might be a point when you can have fog machines and guitars and stuff in church and it won't, I guess, be performative in the same way that it is now. Now, to talk about some practical aspects of the music, I would say a general rule for the vocal part of the music, I have two general rules. One is the whole thing needs to be within an octave and a half, the whole song. If it if it transcends those, I mean, what is that? That's like 12 or 13 notes. If it transcends that much uh, distance, you're, you're really pushing the vocal range of the average person who is not musically trained. And so that's another reason why it's okay to treat music as a means to an end in these songs, because you don't need to have some kind of stellar vocal range or performance uh, here, because that's not the point. Uh, keep, it, keep it simple. And then I think intervals between notes or jumps can probably maximally be a fifth. Uh, I would not go to a sixth. I mean, if you do a tritone, then you hate your congregation. That's an <laughs> it's a sharp fifth, which uh, it's like universally associated with being hard to find and also sounding really creepy. Um, so, but I would say either within a fifth or a pure octave occasionally for emphasis, but never regularly. I think those would be two decent rules to stand by. Keep it within an octave and a half and keep the jumps within a fifth if they are not octaves themselves. That's what I would say. 
if it's jumping around a bunch more, you just people can't do that, and they are going. They are clearly going to know that this is not a song that they are going to be singing. So they will stop singing, and they will watch you sing it. I think, as far as wordiness goes, I think uh, so. We give a, we give songs a lot of flack for being vague. We should probably give songs more flack if they are too wordy, too quick. I think I brought this up on one Getty song recently where I said, uh, the syllables flow so much and they're not, these are not words that are common to your average high schooler, right? These are deep, careful words. Um, I don't know how well people are going to be able to uh, parse them. And I mean, parse them is one thing, but then actually sort them into mental categories is another thing in order to apply them. And so I think the wording has to be appropriate it probably despite the need for theological truth um should not be too complex and i think if you can't express theology in a simple way then you need to readdress how you're expressing it because um although theology is a an academic discipline you're dealing with fundamental truths that should be somewhat straightforward to explain well i mean that's that's the case in most catechisms and uh you know uh, th- these are often posed as questions, you know, deep theological, complex theological ideas are distilled into a single question and an answer that's, you know, in some cases could be as little as a couple of sentences. You know, so there's no reason that music cannot do the same. Absolutely. And I think we often think of tempo as being a musical or a stylistic choice. But I, I think, actually, if it interferes with one's ability to either parse or uh, maintain focus, then you have a problem. So if it's going <laughs> too fast, people will uh, not be able to make sense of it, and they will just stop singing and then just read it, because why would I sing this? I could just, I have to make sense of it, so I better read it and make sure I know what I'm singing first. Well, if it's too fast, they'll, they may also just sing it. And not think about it, right? Because they're just trying to say, sing the words. Oh, sure. I'm pro- kind of projecting myself onto it. I would probably stop singing before I, before I uh, went to just kind of singing. Uh, I mean, that that is literally mindless singing. If if you get people to a point where they have to just say the syllables fast enough to keep up with you, you're you may be encouraging people to sing mindlessly as opposed to uh, with intellectual engagement, which I don't think God likes. Uh, <laughs> I don't think people. so either. He may have said a few things about that. <laughs> yes. But if it's too slow, I think you'll actually lose people's uh, ability to maintain a train of thought. And so uh, I, I, I can remember, uh, what's a good example? Last Sunday. Uh, I remember one, t- I rem- wait, what? <laughs> I, you're making a joke. Okay, cool. I was like, wait, what happened? In, re- in, recent, <laughs> in recent Sundays of my church, Tyler, there have been some slow songs and it is, I wanted to Bash my head into the pew in front of me. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> well, not speaking about any uh, particular events specifically, I can just say uh, I have I have uh, been in churches talking to other musicians, and we will experiment with different tempos. And this is typically treated as a style choice. Like, oh, how does it sound if we do it this way? How does it sound if we do it that way? Rarely, if ever, is thought given to how many syllables are people singing per minute if we do it this way? And I can remember we were doing one song and it was, Jesus, lover of my soul, let me to thy bosom fly. But then we were playing it as, 
Jesus love And so while you think, while you may think that stylistically that's a poor choice, I think actually, uh, I don't know what you would say, in terms of the worship of God, that's a very poor choice because people will no longer be connecting thoughts. They will just, it will, it will take 10 seconds to get through a half sentence. It's vowel sounds at that point. Yeah, exactly. So I think the words have to flow and flow not too fast and not too slow. Uh, again, we're dealing with categories that are not strictly uh, black and white. I mean, I guess at some point it could be a worthwhile endeavor to experiment with different tempos and find the optimal uh, syllables per minute count. Uh, but that would take a lot of data, I think. You know, Tyler, it strikes me, this is the first time I think ever that we've talked about these kinds of things, like tempo and melody and range whatnot, because we don't, we typically don't evaluate songs on those grounds, which I, I don't know if we, maybe we should, or we should at least talk about them probably sometimes and say, I don't think this song would quite work for a congregation, at least as these people sing it, because they're, you know, they're spanning three octaves, or vice versa. We could comment on how a song maybe has a nice, you know, tempo that that fits that that happy medium that you're describing. Yeah, I don't know. It's something, it's maybe, actually, those would be good cells to add to our spreadsheet uh, at some point, because it could be good to know which songs are singable and not just, you know, theologically good. I have a couple of examples, just two examples off the top of my head of songs that I think do this well. Um, I think In Christ Alone does this well. It does it does kind of press the vocal range a little bit, uh, like with the, because um, we're going In Christ Alone, da, 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 and then we have as at the kind of climax of the song, not even counting the uh, key change that sometimes happen where people go up a step. No, no power of hell, no scheme of man can never block me. So that's a pure octave there in the middle of a phrase which is that's tough to do if those if in is the bottom and ever pluck is the top then i think that's exactly an octave and a half i've heard versions of that song where they even throw another they uh they bump parts of the third the the kind of um pivotal third verse they they bump the second half of that into an octave up and it it's it sounds awesome but there's, oh, yeah, there's sure. no way you should do that if you're leading a congregation in worship. <laughs> I think I've heard that with, um, there's, there's one about the resurrection. What is this song? Um, oh, it, it, is it that one? There in the ground, his body lay. Yeah, you, you're thinking of the exact same thing. Bursting forth. That's the one, exactly. Yeah, yeah. there's no way you could continue in that upper octave, because then it would be like, Resting for the glorious yeah. days, open the graves. Yeah. <laughs> getting again. way up there, and as he starts in victory, a great, an awesome singer, an awesome vocalist can do that, and it sounds great. The congregation is just going to be like, "Whoa," you know? <laughs> yeah, you, or maybe you'd have to switch from a male vocal to a female vocal or something. Yeah, but even then, it's like, why? Right? Well, at what point? At that point, you're performing. I, yeah, I think at that point, that is a clear case where style has taken taken precedence over the ends of worship uh i think another song that does this well is this is my father's world uh it's got a really simple melody that uh is is not tough to to learn i think 
there are a lot of songs that start with a melodic line played on another instrument so people can get used to the melody. This is My Father's World is one of those songs where you don't even need that. You could play two chords and start singing the melody and people would already be ready to sing with you by, you know, the third or fourth line because it's it's repetitive, it's simple, and it's elegant. I think that one does it well as well. Come Thou Fount is another good one. Although I, have we talked about this one in detail? I don't remember if we have. Well, this is... I, I like Come Thou Fount. However, it sometimes strays into the esoteric as far as what is concerned. Because <laughs> you kind of mentioned these vague uh, moments from Scripture that are rarely mentioned from from the front of the room before you sing it and then people are like yeah i know you know ebenezer and the stones of remembering and all that stuff but anyway i think i may be talking too much colin obviously tyler one thing that makes a good song is not having any error or, or heresy that seems quite important i mean we've had instances where a song has been great in most ways and then maybe just had a few words a, a, a phrase that really caused some problems i mean i again i think uh good example of this would be how deep the father's love which we thought was 98 percent awesome the father turned his face away is just singing that with its with what it typically means is a non-starter yeah yeah absolutely i think that that's a, that is probably the best example of that we found where yeah i mean it'd be like spouse saying oh yeah i've been faithful for like 99 percent of our marriage it's like, wait what <laughs> that's not that's not what that means <laughs> so yeah it's got to be it's got to be good and uh free of error and i think in addition kind of along the same lines this is something that we tend to pair discussion with error discussion of error and heresy with the song needs to offer something, right? Again, just to go back to, it's not enough for a song to be inoffensive. Okay, a song doesn't have error or false teaching. Yeah, neither does a potato. Yeah, yeah. right. Ex ex that's yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, there are, if, if that's the case, it, you know, don't have such low standards that a song just has to not have error or heresy, but otherwise just kind of be a great song and fun song to do. Like, there are better songs. Pick the best, the theologically, the most sound songs you could possibly pick. I, I just don't, th this just seems obvious to me at this point in my life. Like, just pick the songs that have the most, the, 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 the best representation of scripture, objective truth, you know, and great, you know, you, you have some style. There are all sorts of styles of songs and types of songs. There are songs for all sorts of different churches that can fit those criteria. But don't, you know, there's no need to open it up to mediocre songs. I mean, we're talking about the worship of God here. We're not, you know, <laughs> this isn't a this isn't a mixtape that you're making for your 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 sister's boyfriend. You know, this this is song selection for the worship of God by his people gathered on a Sunday morning. Don't settle for songs that would get threes. Yeah. Thank you, listeners, for listening to this week's episode of the worship review we hope you'll consider sharing the podcast with friends uh pastors worship leaders that you know uh feel free to look up specific songs that we have reviewed in case those are helpful do please follow us on twitter and send us email at feedback at the worship review you can also locate us at anchor.fm slash the worship review 
and you can f- give it, send us feedback that way. You can even leave voicemails for us. We've gotten a few of those, and those are always fun. So yeah, um, thanks for listening this week, and we'll see you next time. You've been listening to The Worship Review. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave a comment, or email us at feedback at theworshipreview.com. We accept donations at anchor.fm slash theworshipreview and patreon.com slash theworshipreview. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.